Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Forever Fruitful by Pastor Sean Wood. Uh, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, we are going to continue looking at discipleship this morning. A very important part of discipleship is found in John 15. I'm going to pray while you turn there. Lord, you're forever speaking to us and Lord, I pray that we would have our ears open, that we would be receptive. Holy Spirit, may we... Be open to your nudging this morning as your word comes to us. Lord, we thank you for the power that is in your word and we welcome what you have to say to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As you finish turning to John chapter 15, uh, there's, a, there's a passage of scripture in Mark 11. It's, it's, Jesus, it's right at the beginning of Jesus' Passion Week leading up to his crucifixion and he's travelling from Bethany to Jerusalem and on his way... He, he sees, the, the Gospel of Mark tells us that in the distance he notices a fig tree in leaf. And a fig tree in leaf is promising fruit. So Jesus sees the fig tree in the distance in leaf and it says that he was hungry and he makes his way over to the fig tree and he doesn't find any fruit. It says that Jesus curses the fig tree and walks away. Okay? Then we have another little bit of a discourse and then... Uh, the disciples and Jesus are, are travelling from Jerusalem back to Bethany and they pass the fig tree and the disciples go, wow, the, that fig tree you cursed has withered up and died. And there's an, there's an enormous lesson in that for us because following Christ and Christianity is all about fruit. God is seeking fruit. We're going to see that in the Old Testament, when, when God was speaking to his people Israel, he often used the term vineyard. You are my vineyard. We're always looking for fruit. Now, so many people continue on that passage in Mark 11, where it says, you know, he who believes in his heart, say to this mountain, that's all in the context of the fig tree. It's a, it's a sermon for another day, but that's all in the context of the fig tree. But here's the lesson for us today. Jesus will come to us as that fig tree, and he will be seeking fruit, not leaves. And you can have all the leaves, you can have all the appearance, you can, you can be promising all of the fruit and have nothing to show. Jesus is not coming looking for our next best program. When we stand before him, he will not be looking for experiences that we've had. He may not even be as interested in how many chapters of the Bible you read every day and how long you pray. Smith Wigglesworth answered that, that, that question the best. Someone asked him one day, uh, this is a guy that used to empty prayer rooms in the middle of a revival. And someone said, wow. How long do you spend reading the word and praying every day? And he said, oh, I don't, he said, I don't read the word or pray for any more than 20 minutes at a time. He said, but I'd never go 20 minutes without reading the word or praying. It was just his constant life. Jesus has an important analogy here for us in, in the Gospel of John, an important metaphor that we need to grab because discipleship is outlined for us right here. Uh, if you're sitting here this morning and you're asking yourself, what is fruit? 
We will answer that question today. If you're sitting here this morning asking yourself, what must I do to be fruitful? We will answer that question this morning before you go home. Jesus has given us that answer in John chapter 15. For, the, for those that were with us when we did go through the Gospel of John, we touched very briefly on this chapter. We're going to unpack it in a little bit more depth this morning. But, but here's, here's basically what's going on in a paraphrased way in the Gospel of John. John writes to a very broad audience. He's not just writing to Jews. He's writing to both Jews and Greeks. And Greeks uh, really didn't have a whole lot better to do with their time but to think about stuff. And so for these guys that are thinking and trying to find the meaning in the universe, John writes his gospel and says, stop looking, I found it. It's Jesus. And if you could sum up the gospel of John in one word, it is the word believe. John uses the word believe 99 times in this gospel. And each time he uses it in that context, it is a verb. It is about placing the fullness of your trust. So firstly, John will say, here's the object of your belief, Jesus. Have no doubts about it. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Eternal One. He is the object of all of your trust and all of your reliance. And then he spends the rest of the gospel uh, showing us what that looks like. And he uses the Pharisees at times, and he uses other uh, means to highlight the difference between belief and non-belief. One of them is Judas. Judas, when we talk about discipleship, Judas is an elephant in the room for many people. If you really stop and think about it for a long time, hang on a second, Jesus calls 12 people. Judas is open to all the same miracles and everything that all the other guys are, but Judas has a completely different response to Christ. How and why is that even possible? We'll briefly answer that this morning. Jesus says to his disciples... He says, I am the true vine. You will find in the Gospel of John that there are uh, seven I am statements. Uh, And when Jesus uses the words I am, he is not unpacking for us something that he does. He is not telling us something that we should be doing. What Jesus is telling us is who he is. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is using something that we know commonly from the physical world to reveal who he is. When Jesus says, I am the door for the sheep, he's he's telling everybody, I'm the only way in. And today he says, I am the true vine. And what would that have sounded like if you were an Israelite in the first century? What are you hearing when Jesus says this? Jesus is talking to God's vineyard and he says, I am the true vine. He is talking to a wayward, sporadic kind of people and saying, everything you struggled to perform, all the righteousness you're trying to obtain, I'm the power, the virtue and the life to give it to you. I am the true vine. Here's what Jesus is also going on to say. There are no other ways to get this. There's no other vines. There's no other source. I am the true vine. Being fruitful, discipleship is all about fruitful living and bearing fruit is all about atmosphere and environment. Let me kind of explain that a little bit. I don't care what you say, there is not another place in Australia that grows apples like Tasmania. Watch young Einstein. They were apple farmers. That's why he's so smart. Everyone in Tasmania is smart because of all the apples. 
I also don't care what you say. There is nowhere in Australia that grows bananas like Queensland. Or mangoes. You go to the supermarket in Tasmania, mangoes will cost you your right arm. But up here, they're falling off the trees everywhere. Apples. You can't get apples like you can in Tasmania. Certain kinds of nuts in Tasmania too. Not the ones that grow on trees, just certain kinds of nuts. (laughs) But here an amen, brother. (laughs) And here's why. Uh, You could take a banana seed and you could take the plant, you could do whatever you want. And you could take it to Tasmania and you could plant it in all the soil you like. You could fertilise it all you like and water it all you like. But if you do get bananas, they're not going to be of a great quality anyway. Why? Because the atmosphere is wrong. And you could bring an apple seed up here. You could bring an apple tree up here. You could plant it in whatever you want to, give it all the nutrients you want. And it's not likely to grow any apples. Why? Because the atmosphere is different. And... There's something miraculous that happens with fruit. It is a supernatural process. But what we can and what we are in charge of is the atmosphere and the environment. If you want seed to grow in your life, if you want fruit to grow in your life, do something about the environment. Do something about the atmosphere. My heart since I arrived here was, I can't, I can't put fruit, I can't transform your heart. If I, could, if I had a wand, I'd do it. If I had a wand, I would have used it on mine already. I can't transform your heart, but my heart and the heart of us as a leadership and a church is that this would be an environment, a safe environment, a loving environment where people can grow fruit. And there are some trees in God's orchard that need a little bit of healing. And my prayer is this, that this would be a place that becomes an orchard and not a factory. Beautiful analogy by David Storer. Church is an orchard and not a factory. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. And then he goes on to make another thing clear. He says, and my father is the vine dresser. And uh, they would have known exactly, well, I don't know much about viticulture. I should. The Tamer Valley is full of, we make the best wine. That's why everybody's drunk in Tasmania because we all drink too much wine. But, but we have enormously su- successful vineyards because it's great climate for growing grapes. But uh, a vine dresser in the first Century, they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about because the vine dresser had three predominant roles. First one was to train the vine. And when you're training the vine, you, you are positioning and lifting the foliage of the vine to give it the greatest exposure to sunlight so that photosynthesis, a process we can't understand, we can only observe, uh, 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 photosynthesis, I'm going to stop talking in Greek, I've got to find another language. Photosynthesis can produce better fruit and more fruit. Isn't that just like God? Always wanting to position us so that we get the best light. Who is the light? I am the light, says Jesus. The second role of the vine dresser was to cultivate the vine and cultivating was all about fertilising, cultivating was all about watering so that, the, so that every single part of the vine, every single branch gets the best opportunity to produce fruit. And the third one was pruning. And we need to spend a little bit of time on pruning this morning, so we'll get to that in a moment. Let's, let's continue on with what Jesus says. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. 
Here's something I find in that verse that would be enormously hard for Calvinists. If you don't know what Calvinism is, good for you. But if, but if you're a Calvinist this morning, you're going to struggle with the fact that Jesus has made it clear that you can be in Jesus and not bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's, there's an enormous challenge in that verse. We have to answer the question, what does it actually mean to be in Jesus? And this is where we begin to see uh, the, the clarity that John brings around Judas. Right now, everybody here is inside this building and you are surrounded and you are enclosed by this building because you're in this building. Beautiful, profound truth that Paul unpacks throughout his epistles is that we, when we believe and throw our trust on Christ, we come in to Jesus completely surrounded, completely enclosed in Christ. And what happens now is if there's an adverse weather event, which only happens in Tasmania about six times a day, but if there's an adverse weather event right now, we're in here, we're protected, we're enclosed. It could rain outside and we're okay because we're inside the building. Here's something that I find remarkable. You could be two metres on the other side of that wall and completely miss all the benefits from being inside here. In fact... If you were two metres on the other side of that concrete wall, you wouldn't be in this building, you would be around it. And there's a huge danger in being around Jesus and not in Jesus. And the Gospel of John says, the difference is this, you must believe. You must cast the fullness of your trust and the fullness of your reliance on the person of Jesus Christ. Judas hung around Jesus. And it's only the Gospel of John that begins to highlight his heart. When we see that Judas used to hang on to the money bag, but he used to take some for himself. That's why he was worried about the perfume that was spilt all over the feet of Christ. We could have sold this and given it to the poor. I.e., that is, I could have put some of that money in my pockets. Judas challenges me because... What I I find is it is actually possible to be around Jesus. It is possible to see all the miracles of Jesus. It is possible to see all the benefits of Jesus. It is possible to hear all the teachings of Jesus and it bounces off you like a concrete wall. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch... Here's here's some more good news. If... (laughs) As if it could, this is great news for everybody here this morning. Uh, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And the word prune here means to purge or to clean. And when we are purging something, we are the exact uh, representation in the Greek here is to rid someone of an unwanted quality, condition, or feeling. We are purging. The more contaminants you remove from the vine, the branches, and so forth, the better the fruit. When I was in the forestry, we, we, three main activities we used to do was we would, we would plant, we would fertilise, and then we would prune. In the summer, and I had got, pruning was hard. Guys that were making $500 a day would go to about 200 bucks a day in pruning season because it was hard work. But here was the idea behind pruning. Uh, we, would, we would prune option two woodlots so that they would be uh, a six-metre length of clear wood. 
And that clear wood would be placed into a uh, machine, uh, a very, very fine peeler that could peel that at about two mils if you wanted to. And that may, so all the veneers you find on your walls and your floors, that's where it comes from. It comes from this clear wood. Here's what has to happen for clear wood. You can have no imperfections in that timber. You can have no knots, no awkward grain. You have to train that tree from a very young age so that it, you remove all imperfections. And so while that tree is this small, we begin pruning it. And then when it grows a bit more, we prune it a second time. And then when it's about yay, we would prune it a third time. And what you're left with is a log that is about yay round that only has imperfections in the middle. And we take off all of the branches. And what happens is, you have to cut those branches in a particular way. And what happens is, as the tree grows, those things that are removed from the tree, as it grows, we now see that those imperfections are not seen anymore. And that's exactly what God does in our lives, is he cuts stuff away from our lives. If you're bearing fruit, God's got his loppers out. Why? So that you will bear more fruit. And as, as the tree grows, more and more imperfections are grown out until you're left with a clear log. God is wanting to purge us of all the unwanted <clears throat> branches in our lives. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Clean and pruned, exactly the same word in the Greek, kathairo. You're already clean and you're already purged. How? By the word that I have spoken to you. That is why we must, we must form our relationship in Christ. We must found our churches. We must build our life groups on nothing apart from the word of God. I am not interested in experience. I am not interested in goosebumps. I am not interested in anything else apart from the Word of God. And that's why we must treat it and handle it with utmost care and diligence. Why? Because it actually matters. It actually matters. You are clean, you are purged, and you are pruned by the Word. Ever been in a sermon where you felt like God got His got his shears out and gave you a good lopping. I've been in too many of them. I've, I, I listen to guys now all the time and I'm listening to sermons and I'm thinking, <laughs> I've read that verse a million times. But the Holy Spirit has a way of getting his loppers out. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, here is the number one environmental factor for every single person in this room if you want to bear fruit. Abide in me. And that word abide is really, really deep and profound. I want to unpack it for you. It means to endure or remain. It means to stay. Very, very simple. Jesus never made abiding hard. It's about uh, <clears throat> enduring in Christ. Abiding is remaining in the vine. It is looking to the vine. It is relying on the vine. It is, it is staying in a vital connection with the vine. 
A vital, deep, spiritual, intimate connection. Jesus says, when you believe in me, place your trust in me, when you are born again, that connection begins and now you need to stay there. You need to stay vitally connected to me because something happens if you don't. In Western society, people are drifting away from Christ at an alarming rate and they are withering and dying because the minute you are disconnected from the vine, you are beginning to wither. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me, says Christ, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit. It will be no use, no use standing before Christ. Every one of us here will stand before Christ. It will be no use saying, I went to church though, but I went to church. I, 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 I read your word and I, I heard about you, Jesus. Jesus wants fruit. He wants vital connection. That's why he says in Matthew, I never knew you. And the knowing is the difference. It's about relationship. It's about intimacy. Jesus says, if you want to bear fruit, it's simple. Remain in me. Look to me. Keep your eyes on me. Jesus goes on and says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And here's, here's the dilemma that we often face is we get that around the wrong way. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you guys are the branches. But all too often, we want to be the vine and we want Jesus to be a branch. We, we want Jesus to be a branch of our life. We're, we're building our life. We're, we're establishing our rules and our regulations. And, and I want to be successful at work. And, and I want to have all this and I'll do all of that. And, and, and I'm happy for you to be one of the branches down the bottom end, Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to be a branch in your life. He wants to be the vine. And he wants you to segment your life so that every branch of your life comes off this vine, which is him. He's the vine and we are the branches, completely reliant upon him. Do you know you don't get your next breath unless Jesus gives it to you? And he could take it away just like that. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this should, be the, this should be plastered on every pastor's office and should, everybody in ministry and everybody in Christian leadership should have this plastered all over, wherever they look. Why? Because we need to learn that we actually can't do anything without Christ. But history will tell us what you can do with Christ. You can't do anything. Apart from me, you can't bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. We live in a society, we're going to talk a little bit about this at the end of the month, but we live in a society today that is attempting to tell everybody, including us, who we are. 
We live in a culture today that wants to tell everybody you're actually meaningless. You're actually the result of a random bunch of processes that came together over billions of years. Uh, so many people outside of this room, and, and I talk to them every day, they, they don't believe in God. I don't be- I, I'm going to tell you now, you need more faith to be an atheist than you do to be a Christian. Why? Because culture wants to tell you that something that is the universe came from nothing. It wants to tell you that you are the product of just a random bunch of proteins and amino acids that managed to find its way to working together. Is not the human body a little bit more miraculous than that? And that somewhere along the line, the human genome was able to jump a beat and go from apes to humans. Police. But they're trying to tell us that that's what we are. They're trying to tell us you've got no purpose. You wonder why our kids in schools are going to extraordinary lengths of harming themselves and other measures. Why? Because they wake up every morning and they've got no horizon to look at. What is life anyway? If we are what culture tells us we are, then who is there to tell Adolf Hitler that what he did was wrong? Nobody. Why? Because you've got no standard to measure it against. Survival of the fittest. That's actually the motto of the Nazis. Let's get rid of all the impure genes and let's keep ours. No. But being a branch of Christ transforms your identity. It's like Jason Bourne. Guy wakes up floating in the middle of the ocean and spends the rest of his life trying to work out who he is. And that's like every single person born on this planet. They wake up and immediately try to find out who they are and too many people are getting it wrong and too many people are looking in the wrong areas. If you want to know who you are, look at Christ. Look at the purpose you have. Look at the meaning you have. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, cast your eyes to the cross. If you were the only person that needed saving, he still would have gone to the cross. I am the vine, is you are the branches. It's the place where we find the fullest of our identity. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I think that verse almost preaches itself. The effects of not abiding in Christ are pretty clear. To our detriment, uh, I remember talking to my lovely wife about this in recent times, the youth group, I I cast my eyes in my memory back to the youth group that we grew up in, and and, and I love them guys. And I was born again in the Salvation Army, and we had a youth group of over 50 kids. And, I mean, I only really started going to the Salvation Army because there was all these girls there. But who cares? I got saved in the end, so it worked, you know? But at the end of the day, I look back now and God did some enormous work in us as young people. Really did. Uh, A great guy at the Salvation Army. We had a great youth group at the Apostolic Church. And I look back now and I can't actually think of one of them that are following Christ. And we got married and we got distracted and this came in and that came in and it happens to all of us and it happens to the best of us. But people are withering away and drying up because they're disconnected from the vine. If anybody doesn't abide in me, this is, this is serious stuff. 
If anybody doesn't abide in me, withers up and dies. Here's why we take the Bible so importantly. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I love these verses because everybody's thinking Mercedes-Benz and five-bedroom mansions, but that's not what Jesus was thinking when he said that. And it's interesting that when God's word abides in you, when God's word remains in you, when it's, when, when it's the sum of the teachings of Christ and the gospel, it'll change your wish list. Transforms your wish list. Jesus had a completely different wish list to everybody else. His disciples, you read the book of Acts, these guys had an enormously different wish list to everybody else around them. Ask whatever you wish. It also says in another place, ask whatever you will in my name or in accordance with my will. If my words abide in you, his word remaining or enduring in us, it is It is to our shame that the word of God is mistreated and distorted at times. I need to give a solemn warning when it comes. Please be very, very careful about who you let speak into your life. Be very careful who you let tell you who God is. Because that can remain. I want to ask everybody a question here this morning. Who wants to glorify God? I do. As a church, do we want to glorify God? Yeah. Here's how you do it. Jesus said, I'll just make it easy for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What? is fruit. What does Jesus mean when he talks about fruit? The the word in the Greek is kapos. And the easiest way for me to tell you what fruit is, fruit is the visible expression of inward transformation that the Holy Spirit has done in your life. Fruit is not whether you go to church or not. You go to church because Jesus transforms your heart. It's not about how long you pray. You pray because Jesus has transformed your heart. Jesus makes it clear. Transformation first, then expression. Fruit is the outward visible sign that God has changed something on the inside. If you want to know what it looks like, it's listed for you in Galatians 5. 22 and onwards. The fruit, no S, we don't separate them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and lots and lots of love for the pastor. (laughs) Glorifying God equals bearing fruit. This is how you know disciples of Christ. You will know them by their fruit. What does it mean to glorify God? The glory of God is the revelation and the manifestation of all that he has and all that he is. That's the glory of God. I want the glory of God on full display in my life. The full revelation of who he is and everything he has done. Lord, glorify yourself right here. Okay, says, God, produce fruit. Live a fruitful life. Allow the Holy Spirit to, just one part of that fruit is love. 
Oh, but you, would, you don't understand, Pastor. It's, I could love that person a lot easier if they were just a little bit nicer to me. Jesus loved people and not many of them were very nice to him. Do you know, by the way, Jesus wasn't nice. Always loving, always kind and always merciful, but he wasn't nice. Nice people give you what you want and say what you want to hear. Jesus, Jesus wasn't nice all the time. This is how you glorify God. You bear much fruit and this is how you prove. This is the evidence The evidence is this, a disciple of Christ bears fruit. Looks like something in your life. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you know there's more people that actually need to abide in the love of Christ? And the love of Christ is the same as the Father loves Jesus. And do you know that the love that the Father has for Jesus is eternal and it's not based on anything that Jesus done, has done? Right at the baptism, right before Jesus has done anything, we see that the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. It's a description. The Holy Spirit isn't a dove. It was like a dove. Descends like a dove. And what does God say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Hasn't done a thing yet. Jesus is saying, abide in my love. Abide in the place where you don't have to do anything to be in my love. You don't have to do anything but remain. Abide in my love. In the place where I love you simply because of who you are. Not because of what you've done. You can't earn the love of Christ. You get it anyway. God loves each and every one of us. Abide in his love. Sometimes we get this around the wrong way. John chapter 14, Jesus, says, Jesus goes on and says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John chapter 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love first. Maintaining and staying in that place is obedience. Nobody likes the word obedience. None of my boys like the word obedience. God demands our obedience. I want to come down to the last part that I really like. Jesus is talking about relationship and intimacy and fruit bearing. I love this last part because Aristotle said that this was impossible. Aristotle said it is impossible for God and man to be friends because there must be likeness to be friendship. He makes a good point. C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, The Four Loves, he says he defines friendship this way. When two people standing side by side look at each other and go, you too. C.S. Lewis says, that's friendship. That's a knitting of a soul, and so to speak. The Bible says that in other places. And Aristotle says, you know what? There is is that much difference between God and man that there is no possible way that they could ever be friends. And and let me tell you, this word friend, what what makes a friend? Uh, We have 
We have people that we know and we kind of refer to in cliche kind of ways and how you're going. Some people, we, we, we move on to facts and, and, it, and so we talk about, you know, oh yeah, I'm okay, but you know, uh, my son never does as he's told, uh, those kinds of things. But um, my son can't catch fish, but I'm okay. But, but when we move on, you can't turn me down this morning, sunshine. <laughs> But there's a difference with a friend. What happens with friendship is disclosure. What happens is, I let you see who I am. Warts and all. God's got no warts, by the way. And neither do pastors. (laughs) But there's disclosure. It's, It's very deep and it's very intimate. I disclose things to my friends that I wouldn't disclose to anybody else. My wife knows me better than anybody else on the planet. And that's why she must be silent right now. And, and God says, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you guys, you guys are my friends. He goes on and says this. He says, uh, if we read down verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. We always breeze over that one, but it's enormously important. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If. There's another word that blows Calvinism out of the water. Is the word if. It's in the Bible all too often. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. What's the difference between a servant and a friend? Distance, disclosure, relationship. A servant does as they're told. A friend shares in the relationship. The difference in the first century between a servant and a friend was a servant was not a member of the family. A friend was considered to be a member of the family. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Listen to the disclosure there. All that the father is making known to me, I am making known to you because you are my friends. Aristotle said it's impossible. Tim Keller highlights it beautifully when he says, just like C.S. Lewis says, it is in the person of Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross in the fullness of our shame, bearing the fullness of our sin that we can look at him and go, you too. Immediately, it is the person of Jesus Christ that removes the distance between man and God. And it is only the person of Jesus Christ. It is in him that we can look upon him, carrying all that we suffer with, and say, you too. Abraham was called a friend of God. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. What did Moses say on the mountain? I want to know your ways, what his master is doing. Let me see your glory. I want to know your ways. All that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. Interesting phrase. A message for another day. But I chose you. Why? And I appointed you that you go and bear much fruit. And the word appointed is to place or put into position. Christ has chosen us. And that is a word that that I'll unpack when we go through Romans. But it basically speaks God has pre-known us to the point where we 
Come into a place of fruit bearing. I've chosen you. I've chosen to love you. I've chosen to set my affection on you. That's what foreknowledge or prognosco means. And when you come into relationship with me, I have appointed you to bear fruit. It's an appointment that every single one of us has. Discipleship equals bearing fruit. Fruit is the outward expression of inward transformation of the Holy Spirit. Being fruitful for you today is abiding in Christ. Seeing him as the only true vine and casting the fullness of your reliance and your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us bow our heads as we pray. Father, for every person in this room, I thank you that we are your friends. That is, that is profound. It is profound that the one who spoke the universe into existence by the power of his words stoops down and says, you are my friends. Father, I pray for fruit in this room because I pray for your glory to be set above everything else. Father, we as one declare and pray this morning, be glorified in this place. Holy Spirit, work so deeply in our hearts that there is fruit, there is outward transformation, there is outward expression of inward transformation. Father, we open our lives, we surrender to you afresh today that you would come. And that all of the life and nutrients of the vine would flow into our hearts and lives, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today. And we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.